demonstrate your value, uh, build your personal brand inside the company. Our performance is highly contextual. And uh, right now, we are in the, in the crisis situation. We're dealing with the pandemic. And, well, it, it would be wonderful if my employees work for me 24-7, uh, but um, are they as effective long-term? Uh, and uh, how uh, quickly will they burn out? Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my video podcast on rationality, transhumanism, productivity, and trends of development in society. Today, here with me is Sergey Gorbatov, an HR talent executive in a Fortune 100 company and a professor at the IE Business School in Madrid. Sergey has over 15 years of experience in a wide spectrum of roles in HR, in talent, leadership, and organization development. He is also a co-author of the book Fair Talk, Three Steps to Powerful Feedback. Hi, Sergey. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, the first question I'd like to ask uh, concerns the current state of affairs, so to say. Everybody, of course, is all the time speaking about the coronavirus uh, and how this all affects all markets, including the career market. As a HR with a huge experience, uh, what have you noticed? What is the biggest trend in HR right now? That's a, a very big question. And uh, I guess that uh, depending on the company, depending on the industry, uh, you will hear different answers. Um, you know that there are certain industries such as uh, retail or internet deliveries that uh, actually are th currently thriving, uh, which we can't say about oil and gas or construction. So that's uh, one small caveat. Uh, what um, the HR leaders, what my colleagues are concerned about, several uh, issues. First, around um, maintaining engagement of uh, their employees, enabling virtual work, making sure that the productivity stays at the pre-crisis level or even increases so that we don't see uh, big uh, slumps in productivity. And uh, everything that deals with virtual work, with enabling virtual teams, uh, goes into that bucket. Second, uh, re-entering the work. Getting back to, uh, to to the offices, to the new normal, what do you do? Do you test uh, everyone you don't test? What are the legal implications of that? What do you do with office uh, cleaning and, um, and, and so on? How do you stage coming back to work? Is it... Uh, shift A, shift B, or uh, you, 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 go, you go by percentages, 15%, uh, 30%, 50%. That's uh, the second one. And the third bucket, I would say everything that deals with talent and talent identification. We've seen that recently. People that we haven't paid much attention to in the organizations, they've, they've reason in this difficult times and they, they've demonstrated tremendous ability to perform and thrive in the ambiguous environment, while those uh, who have been traditionally categorized as high potentials demonstrating uh, at best medium level of, uh, of performance. And uh, second uh, uh, topic concerns the availability of the talent and the talent pools. So looking at the competitive environment. 
if uh, I work uh, for a company, hypothetically, that traditionally required people being in the office, and I continue Uh, requiring people coming to the office and not working from home while my competitors are relaxing their practices on homework. It means that they might come after my talent who are not mobile and who may not have uh, these opportunities within the company. Uh, so uh, this talent war, I think, now will be shifting slightly. And uh, the new perspective that we will see in this talent war is uh, virtual work and the availability of talent who is not proximate to you. Well, some interesting comments have been raised by you. Uh, let's start with the productivity issue. Uh, you probably have some data on this uh, for your own, uh, for, for, for the company that you uh, are working at uh, or for some other companies in the industry and in other industries. Has uh, the level of productivity dropped or risen? Uh, due to the remote work, on average. So uh, I don't have data on that. So we can only only speculate. Um, and um, first, we need to decide what productivity is. Is productivity output? And uh, if we define productivity as output, then definitely the outputs globally have dropped if we link productivity to business results. I'm pretty sure that many companies will be reporting drops uh, in their earnings and, and, and their revenues. If you define productivity as effort put in, uh, everyone now is talking about and writing about uh, people working more, on average two to three hours more. So is that how we define performance and productivity? Depending how you answer that question, uh, that will determine your approach to that. But uh, people working more does not necessarily mean that they are working more efficiently. Uh, maybe they have more distractions, uh, all those uh, notifications absolutely. on their cell Absolutely. And... Let's not confuse activity with productivity. Uh, it's easy to fall into this trap of efforting. And I, 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 make, I make an effort. But then what if you've made a tremendous effort And then because of the crisis, uh, the contract got cancelled or uh, the, the, the client disappeared, uh, the, the funding got cut. Does it mean that you haven't performed? That's, uh, that, that, that's one, uh, one question. And the second one is, is a concern that many people are creating a lot of work because of crisis. And there is nothing more lethal than a leader in search of action or a leader in search of crisis. And, uh, and, and, and creating the opportunities to rise, uh, sometimes using uh, less than desirable means for that. Mm, less than desirable, such as? Uh, such as taking advantage of a crisis to advance personal agenda and create projects and activities um, that may not be in the best business interest. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. What about you, yourself? Uh, uh, how's working remotely affecting you? Do you have any life hacks on how to be productive while uh, staying self-isolated? Structure. Uh, that's uh, definitely my way of dealing with that. 
uh, and uh, having regular one-on-ones with my team, having team meetings, uh, setting in catch-ups with key stakeholders and uh, keeping those commitments. Uh, my team uh, is distributed uh, from Singapore to Chicago, so uh, working virtually for me was normal. And that's why shifting uh, to 100% homework was not as, uh, as, as, as problematic. We were using lots of uh, collaborative apps, uh, video conferencing apps, uh, and uh, we, we, we just shifted completely to those. Uh, however, I've also seen examples of people really struggling, uh, particularly those who've never worked from home, those who have small children, those whose families have been affected by COVID. And uh, we really need to add this uh, personal element to that. Uh, In in any crisis, there will be human tragedy and we would be amiss and uh, maybe uh, tone deaf if we don't take that into account. Yeah, that's uh, an important issue. The problem uh, for many people who have now to stay home with uh, their families, uh, who may be the most important people in their lives, but who may still be a distraction from work and work process. Uh, Do you have any uh, life hacks on how to to manage that, how to uh, distinguish between work and uh, other stuff that happens uh, uh, in your apartment at, uh, at home? Be more forgiving. Be more forgiving and accepting that uh, now we have invited work into our homes. So uh, make sure that it's normal. Uh, Introduce routines such as uh, whenever a child walks into the camera, uh, everyone waves at the child and says hi. And that takes this angst of, oh my God, uh, my, my, my dog box or whatever, it makes it normal. And uh, just normalizing the process and saying that it's fine, we understand that they might be a delivery at the door and you may need to step out to take that or that your child cries or your dog barks. That's that's fine and that's normal. It's It, it doesn't talk about you as a person, about your productivity. It's just how we live our lives. And that makes a huge difference. Uh, I have uh, I have a small dog and sometimes uh, uh, she starts uh, playing with the ball or with her bone during the uh, uh, conference calls and that makes noise. I would always pull her up and say, hey, say hi, everyone. This is my dog. You know, that, that's, what, 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 what can I do about her? She, she has lots of energy. So uh, make, uh, in, in making it more personal and demonstrating that you are a, a human being with uh, with lives outside of work uh, makes um, uh, ma- makes it uh, really uh, more authentic, and uh, you gain more trust because of that. Well, being more authentic uh, is a vital skill, I think, for many people in life generally, but in this situation especially. Thanks for the advice. Uh, another question regarding the COVID is uh, concerns uh, what's happening uh, overall on the job market. Because we all know that there is a 
global financial crisis uh, nowadays, in addition to global healthcare crisis. Uh, many companies lose their revenue, they have to uh, fire people, some people are left jobless at the time, not, uh, not as many uh, open vacancies uh, uh, are on the market as uh, there used to be in most industries. So what would you recommend uh, aspiring uh, white-collar uh, white employees who, who are afraid at the moment, who are afraid that they might lose their job or who have already lost their job, how to boost their competitiveness uh, in these difficult times? We can talk about two aspects here. One is the organizational aspect and the second one is the personal aspect. Organizationally, okay. and uh, here the, the, the science is conclusive and the research has been confirmed and reconfirmed several times. During crisis, uh, during economic uh, uh, downturns, those organizations that don't lay off their employees are doing better financially long-term when the economy recovers. Those organizations that do lay off employees and, uh, or furloughs or any, any measures like that suffer more lately. The market, in terms of stock price, never reacts positively to reactive layoffs. So if you are an organization, think about that uh, it's, it's better to weather this crisis together with your employees rather than go for a short-term solution uh, because the economy is going to bounce back. But you will be known as an employer who would dispense of your people as the first resort. So don't come back right. to us saying that employees are your most valuable assets. Now, if we talk about the second perspective, and that is the perspective of the employee, my question is always, what's, what, what's your plan B? And uh, it's better to have this conversation two or three years before the crisis and, uh, so, so that you have time to, uh, to, to prepare. And uh, now we see a lot of research that comes out uh, on the benefits of hustling. So having a side hustle, uh, if you have a, a, a day job and then you do something on the side, uh, a podcast, or maybe you start uh, your, your, your business or you, you give uh, classes or you are me a member of a, a board or at a non-governmental organization or your local, your, your local school. So wh whatever it is that you are doing, that's different to your day job. And by doing that, you learn to straddle. And you learn to acquire different skills and you learn to gain different perspectives and uh, you learn to go out and network more and uh, identify more opportunities. So people who do that are more prepared to weather uh, crises, difficult situations, and they would bounce back and adapt much quicker to whatever life throws their way. And it may not be a layoff. Um, it may be uh, moving to a different country, or it might be a, a breakup or a divorce or a passing of a loved one. So we know, what we know is that life will throw uh, curveballs at us. 
And those who are more open to opportunities, those who learn uh, in the times of thriving, they're better off in dealing with those curveballs. So if you come to me and say, well, I'm a white collar person and I'm afraid that I might lay it off, I would say, well, start doing something different. Start uh, learning a new skill, uh, read a book, uh, get a hobby, uh, find a, a side gig. It, it may not be, it's not necessarily a second job, right? Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. And uh, you don't need to get paid for it. It's, it's just acquiring experiences. And uh, you also should not neglect your day job. Demonstrate your value. Uh, build your personal brand inside the company. Uh, make sure that your work is visible and make sure that you focus on the right priorities uh, for the company. Clearly articulate that you understand the business strategy and the current environment of the company and link your daily activities to that and continue uh, being this organizational entrepreneur. Yeah? Uh, demonstrate that you can bring innovation, demonstrate that you can take charge and demonstrate that you can uh, voice any disagreements or concerns or support the ideas of others. Uh, those are the key uh, aspects of entrepreneurship today. Uh, well, I'm personally all for having a side hustle. All my blogs started as a side hustle uh, in addition to my career in international legal consulting. Uh, after that, I left it. So uh, I, I, I am a proponent of that. But some people would uh, counter that by saying that having a side hustle leads to less energy, less focus in your main job. Uh, and you might become uh, less competitive in your own, in the company that, uh, that uh, employs you. Uh, wouldn't you agree with such people who say that it's better to exert more effort uh, in their uh, main job instead of uh, just going for new projects? I would not frame it as either or. I would say both and. And uh, the argument uh, that uh, the proponents of uh, hustling make and uh, the, the, the research confirms is that both your key job and your side hustle positively reinforce each other. You might draw energy from one and put that energy into the other. If you are only focused on one thing and one thing only, it might consume you. And uh, we've all heard about the cases of burnout, and that's when you're 150% in, in, in something. So having uh, a hobby, uh, having something on the, on the side, actually helps you to step back, to gain new perspective, to gain energy, and that will have a positive spillover effect into the other thing. There is an interesting research done by my friend Emilia Bunia, and if you are interested, you can go and Google her HBR article on serious leisure. 
And uh, she studies hobbies and leisurely activities of CEOs of companies. So specifically focusing at uh, that top job and what they do on the side when they're not at work. And her findings all point in the same direction, that those CEOs who engage in serious leisure activities are more effective in their daily jobs. Uh, We'll give a link to that article in the description of the video, as usual. Fantastic. Uh, Do read this. Uh, well, don't put your eggs in uh, just one basket, as they say, right? Uh, what, what if your employer objects to your side projects? Uh, this is not uh, uncommon, I, I think. What to do then? Should you do it like uh, secretly? What is your employer's promise to you? That, mm. that, that, that how I often react to these type of statements in in the coaching sessions with with, with leaders that I have. And uh, you might say, well, uh, my employer promised me employment. You're laughing. Uh, that's, (laughs) that's That's a healthy reaction because today no one can promise you anything. And if an organization promises you a career for life, that's, uh, that's, that, 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 that's not true. And we all know examples of organizations that would uh, lay off thousands of employees the moment that the times get tough. So uh, your relationship with the organization definitely should be that of mutual respect and being very clear that you are a valuable member of the organization as long as you produce results, as long you, as you contribute to the overall cause of the organization, and you should definitely do that. Yeah, do uh, do do that. Uh, that helps your career. That helps your standing in the organization. And uh, the more you produce, and the more valuable you are to the organization, the more opportunities to grow and develop you'll get. So that's absolutely uh, normal. It's beneficial, and that will lead to career success. If your organization tells you that you cannot do um, whatever you are doing, well, ask yourself, do you want to work for that company? And unless you work for a governmental agency or a defense company, when really you cannot disclose uh, many things and when really your um, public image can suffer and uh, can really... Uh, harm the company, uh, th- those cases are, are, are rare uh, and uh, th- those are special circumstances. But typically, uh, are, now uh, most organizations are very supportive of that and most of the organizations will have uh, specific guidelines on how to lead your uh, social media activity. Uh, you always should have a disclaimer that the opinions are yours, um, uh, similar as to what I will have uh, for, for, for this video. The opinions are mine and they're personal and not those of my uh, employers or uh, associated organizations. Don't keep that a secret. Uh, you will get into troubles. Uh, honesty is best policy and being transparent with your employer is, um, is the best thing to do. If your um, supervisor does not uh, support your activities, I would have an honest conversation with a supervisor uh, around uh, professional development, around um, 
our, our, our relationship and, uh, and, and the reasons why. And typically, if you ask the supervisor on why, uh, uh, not much will, will, will have to be said. Because uh, really, uh, it's very difficult to argue a case that why your supervisor would have gardening as a hobby and you would have blogging as a hobby. Uh, if you are doing that outside of office hours on your own dime, you're not using company property. Uh, you know, uh, th th there, are, there are no reasons why you can't do that. Well, in consulting, there are reasons because uh, employers uh, would like their employees, the consultants, to work uh, around the clock, to uh, spend every waking hour uh, sometimes when there, there are difficult projects. And they are uh, mostly <laughs> all, all, all the time. So uh, you are required to be focused, extremely focused, uh, work 24-7. Uh, That's the objection in such companies. I know that, in, for example, in an FMCG company, that wouldn't be a problem at all. Or in a, some Silicon Valley uh, IT company, some of them support, uh, as you said, side and, hustles. And uh, even if we talk about consulting companies, I can think of specific people, uh, some of my uh, ex-colleagues or friends, uh, who would go and get much higher salary and much better conditions with a consulting company if they have a blog, if they've written a book, if they have a model they've developed. So consult in, in consulting companies, you're more valuable to them if you've built your personal brand. I understand, uh, so, and, and here we can talk about the levels at which you enter the organization and of course, uh, and, and, and your career ambitions uh, and, uh, and how you see uh, the world of work 24-7. Uh, well, it, it would be wonderful if my employees work for me 24-7, uh, but um, are they as effective long-term? Uh, and uh, how uh, quickly will they burn out? Because they will, be, they will burn out guaranteed. Uh, what do you want? What do you want from your career and what sacrifice are you willing to make? That, that's a, co a much longer coaching conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I totally right agree. I, I totally agree on uh, burnout. Uh, I think uh, uh, I, I have spoken to many consultants in uh, the big three companies, McKinsey, BCG, Bain, and in many uh, consultants in uh, legal consulting where I uh, worked for like five years, and most of them <laughs> experienced burnout. So there must be something wrong with HR policies of uh, uh, many of those companies. I, I hope they are they are mitigating it and making it all better now, uh, with 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 time uh, realizing that uh, it doesn't work long term. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's move to uh, further topics. Uh, you're a great expert on uh, giving meaningful and powerful uh, feedback. You've written a great book about it, very insightful, I recommend it. The link is uh, in the description uh, below under this video. Uh, first of all, I'd like to start by asking uh, why um, so much feedback is uh, ineffective. Uh, you refer in your book, you refer to a study, uh, a meta-analysis done in 1996 that says that around 30% of feedback 
leads to negative consequences. So uh, it's, uh, it leads to some detrimental effects even. Uh, how come? And that's a fascinating finding, uh, right? Um, that feedback actually leads to a decrease in performance in nearly a third of cases. Uh, why? Uh, several reasons. Uh, first, not all feedback is the same. And uh, you need to look at, at, at the message itself. Is the message fair? Is it clear? Is it focused? Uh, does it address the most important performance issue? Uh, is, it, um, uh, is, is it vague? Is it, uh, is, it, is, it, is it baffling? Is it so sugar-coated that uh, the real issue is not seen? And uh, once we start unwrapping uh, the feedback message, very often I see cases that, okay, um, you're not telling the truth or not the entire truth, or you are adding so many details that the truth becomes irrelevant, or you are giving so much feedback, particularly this is true with new supervisors, they would give uh, feedback on 125 different things, all of which might be true, but then the employee is totally baffled, okay, what do I focus on? Or you might give feedback on things that the employee cannot change. I can say, well, you know what, you need to be smarter. Uh, and we know that <laughs> I, IQ, our intelligence, gets fixed uh, at the age of uh, 18 to 22. So after that, our IQ, uh, general IQ level only decreases. So if I give you feedback, you need to be smarter, I might as well just give you feedback, well, you should be taller. That's not going to happen. Uh, so uh, addressing the message and uh, really uh, crafting a powerful feedback message is the first step. And the other consideration is the context. Our performance is highly contextual. And right now, we are in the, in the crisis situation. We're dealing with the pandemic. So uh, the way how we do our work have changed. The standards have changed. The priorities have changed. So if you don't adjust your feedback message to the context, then you are really missing the opportunities to raise the level of performance of, of, of your employees. And uh, I, it, it is my uh, true belief that these contextual uh, factors are not often taking into account. And if you are in interested, I can uh, also talk about uh, the article that uh, I uh, co-authored with, uh, with Linda Rodman, uh, who is an executive coach, talking specifically about situational feedback. And I hope that we can yeah. also share that, 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 that link to this video. Yeah, I've read that article, uh, the one with the, the sandwich. Analogy. The sandwiches, yes. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so tell us more about it. So the, the, the key idea of the article is that uh, we, we, we got the sandwich idea wrong. You know, the, the typical feedback sandwich, when you tell someone uh, a good thing about their performance, then the bad thing, and then you finish off with, with another good thing. Well, that really works because uh, first, everyone knows about the feedback uh, sandwich. So the moment you start telling something uh, good, the positive um, uh, feedback, they're already waiting for that uh, middle piece. And... Um, uh, other people hear the good thing, then they ignore the bad thing, and then they hear the good thing again, and, and then they think, okay, everything's fine. Uh, 
because you know you you, you finished on, on the good thing. So really, it should be a buffet of sandwiches, and you need to uh, tailor your feedback uh, feedback message uh, to the situation, and you need to match your feedback to the situation correctly. And in the article, we provide a scale of different uh, feedback sandwiches, and we use this metaphor that if the carbs is the form, uh, the, 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 the shape of feedback, the, the packaging, then uh, the protein is the feedback message itself. And then you have a, a scale from totally positive message, uh, which we call um, the English muffin with clotted cream and, uh, and jam. So pure carbs, no protein whatsoever. Uh, Greg, you're so fantastic. Uh, your blog is <laughs> uh, wonderful and uh, keep doing that. You're, you're, you're a star in your own right. So pure positivity. Uh, then the second uh, uh, sandwich is this French baguette with cheese. So uh, sumptuous, crusty bread, uh, you know, this beautiful French baguette and a thin slice of chain uh, of, of cheese, uh, which, which is the message. And uh, it could sound like uh, your presentation was, was great. Um, there are a few things that I would reconsider next time, but uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, overall, great job. Uh, then the third level, and we are increasing the intensity of the feedback message. Uh, so less packaging, uh, more uh, more pro protein, uh, more uh, more feedback. So the next level is this American turkey uh, sandwich, which is your standard good, bad, good type of sandwich. The fourth level is the uh, uh, shrimp sandwich on rye, uh, your Danish uh, uh, shrimp sandwich. So shrimp, lots of protein. And it's uh, this is unacceptable, and um, the, the 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 report that you've written really doesn't meet my expectations. Now let's put together a plan on how we get your performance back on track. Uh, so uh, you you finish with the rye, you finish with the support uh, sentence, and then the final is Thai tiger cry. So. Uh, beef, the, the king of protein, uh, very spicy, no carbs at all. Um, this is the third time this is happening. If uh, you don't pull your act together, your future with the company is in question and your employment might be terminated soon. And what we find in, uh, in, in our research is that managers overwhelmingly use uh, the scone with clotted cream and, and, uh, and the French baguette as their primary feedback messages. So they know that they need to deliver the message to the employee, but they package it so thickly that the, the employee doesn't hear the message. The manager thinks that they've delivered the feedback, right? Because, because they did. And uh, in, in research, uh, psychologists call it the illusion of transparency, the manager thinks that they are transparent, and uh, but the employee doesn't hear the feedback. And then on the 11th hour, the employee asks, well, why am I getting fired? Well, because of this, this, and that. But then the employee says, I never heard that feedback. So every time that I talk to the manager about someone underperforming in their organization, I ask, have you talked to them about it? And the manager says, of course I did. And then I say, what exactly did you say? So I didn't ask, did you give the feedback? I asked, what exactly did you say? And then we un unpackage this, this message and I say, and do you think that the person heard it? Like, would you hear yourself in, in, in this message? And um, just, you know, doing the surgery on the feedback message really helps. 
So situational, yeah, the power of context. Uh, why? Uh, <laughs> this was a very long-winded way to answer your question. Why is uh, the, the third of the feedback uh, messages <laughs> that doesn't land well? Uh, either because the, the message is faulty or because we haven't taken the context into consideration. Yeah, and another, uh, another challenge and aspect for giving feedback uh, in uh, uh, big uh, global companies uh, such as yours, where people uh, work under you from all over the world, is intercultural differences. Because uh, the kind of feedback uh, uh, that is more reserved uh, would be more characteristic for, I don't know, maybe British people who like to uh, to be very careful with their criticism. And if they say something to you that may sound innocuous, it, it, it is, uh, in fact, a huge criticism, but you just don't understand it because they are not as open as, for example, Americans or uh, maybe Russians. Uh, how to... How to consider this aspect, the difference in, in cultural uh, upbringing and mentality? Indeed, you need to take culture into consideration. And uh, we all heard anecdotes and, uh, and stories with how this conversation takes place across the cultural context. Uh, we can talk about the Asian culture. Uh, cultures where the concept of face is very important. We can talk about Middle Eastern countries where the message might be so convoluted that um, it's uh, difficult to make heads or tails um, of it. Or you would have uh, French uh, who are very uh, are famous for their very direct uh, feedback. Or in, in Russia, if, if you don't hear any feedback, you must be doing well. Uh, which is not necessarily uh, true, and actually, in most cases, it's uh, it's it's not true. Uh, so, con uh, the cultural context is very is very important, and we dedicated a whole section uh, to that in our book. But the interpersonal relationship between the person and the manager is much more important. So, if you have that relationship of trust with your employee, and if you make it clear that uh, you care about their performance, their development, and their career, then the employee is willing to listen whatever message that you have to share with them. So once you have established credibility as a feedback giver, and once you've demonstrated that you really care about them performing better, then people can stomach whatever message, uh, no matter how unpalatable it may be. Uh, what would be your top uh, points of advice uh, for managers uh, giving negative feedback? How to do it uh, uh, efficiently and the not uh, make it worse, mm -hmm. not make the relations with the person worse? First of all, be clear. Uh, get into this mindset that uh, you won't get performance better, you won't address a performance issue with just giving positive feedback. So negative feedback is your friend. Uh, some psychologists, uh, for example, Bob Hogan, and Bob Hogan is one of the most prominent psychologists today. He likes to say that the only useful type of feedback is negative feedback. 
say, if you think about it, uh, why do we typically fire people or why don't we promote people or why people are ineffective? Because there is something that gets in the way of their performance. And unless we show them what it is, and we know that in most cases people don't know what are the stumbling blocks in their performance, they will never know. Some managers claim, well, it's obvious, right? People, sh- people must know. Uh, no, um, only 15%, one five um, of us are truly self-aware. Uh, in most cases, we are not aware at all about our limitations and we're not aware of what's going on and why we can't be more effective. So managers need to deliver that information to their employees. And often this is, uh, call it negative, call it constructive, call it developmental feedback, uh, arose by any other name. Uh, just uh, make sure that you understand that, hey, if you want to help someone perform, they need to hear what stands in their way. So that's first step, uh, get into, in, into the right mindset. The second, you really need to identify the key issue. As I said, feedback can be delivered on hundreds of different things. But what is the one thing that, uh, that stands in your way? What is the one uh, big stumbling block that you need to address? And do the marginal checks. As I said, is that uh, thing likely to be improved? Can the person change that? Very often... Uh, you you would be dealing with, let's say, junior people and say, well, you need to be more strategic. Well, strategy is something that gets developed at very high level. So if I go to an admin assistant and I I ask that that admin assistant is is more strategic, is it fair to request that? However, I can request that the admin assistant is more planful And planning is a lower level competence uh, related to strategic planning. So can I uh, say that someone is more proactive, uh, more planful, more organized, uh, more uh, is better at time management? Absolutely. So uh, make sure that uh, that one thing is clearly identified and it's well calibrated and uh, it will really have this uh, disproportionate impact on performance. And then get the message right. So preparation here is key. It's um, not uh, pleasant to give negative feedback. It, It will never be. It will get easier with practice and with preparation, but those conversations are never uh, the ones that you're looking forward to. However, uh, whenever I have conversations with people and I ask them for examples of most developmental conversations that they've had in their life or the best pieces of, uh, of feedback, it's those ne- instances of negative feedback. Uh, when, when people realized that they were doing something in, uh, in an ineffective way or when they were made aware of their derailing tendencies uh, or behaviors that would be detracting uh, from their performance. Uh, you must be really great at giving feedback uh, uh, at workspace. Uh, do those skills translate into like personal life? I don't know. Uh, you should ask my family members and my team. But what do you think? I think that knowing the theory and applying it well are two different things. 
and that's why education is is one side of the equation and practice is the other side uh, what uh, I can't afford and, and and we talked about authenticity already what I can't afford is uh, saying one things uh, in in this um, blogs or books uh, and articles and doing something uh, something else differently I will lose all credibility um, and people won't, won't won't respect me so actually going public with my take on feedback uh, with uh, my ideas, my, my, mine and my co-authors, uh, it's, it's a public pledge. So now I can't back, backtrack uh, from that. Uh, I need to preach what I'm saying because uh, that is the pinnacle of, of a personal brand and that is consistency of what you say and what you do. So I don't know if I'm the expert, I don't know if I'm uh, really that great at it, uh, but what I do is I uh, uh, always try to apply these principles in how I deliver feedback and how I try to increase the productivity of those around me. Okay. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're... Uh close to the end of our podcast. But before we finish, I'd like you to suggest one major takeaway uh, for people who have uh, watched us or listened to this because uh, this podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Deezer and other podcasting platforms. So one uh, main piece of advice from you on maybe given feedback or moving in the current uh, uh, pandemic, uh, what would it be? The feedback has a tremendous power to raise not only performance, but also morale and engagement and overall well-being. We are living in a pandemic where chaos reigns, uh, there is a lot of panic, there is a lot of ambiguity and complexity. Feedback can cut through that complexity. A, a, a powerful feedback message, and uh, you will read about that in the book, uh, consists of three steps. Tell me why it matters, tell me how I'm doing, tell me what I need to do differently. So the first step, tell me why it matters really answers the question why, why it's important. And engaging people around the why and the meaning of uh, what they're doing, the importance of their contribution. It's so easy now even to start doubting the importance of what you do and how, uh, how, how important it is in the, in the greater scale of things. So having those conversations of, uh, with, with, with people uh, increase clarity. So giving feedback on why someone's job is important and linking it to the new priorities and to the change in the business strategy and then providing feedback and, uh, in terms of, hey, you used to do X, it may not be as effective in these novel circumstances. So I, I expect you to do this instead. And, and these are the three steps of the feedback message. I explained why it's important. I told you uh, what, uh, what I've seen and uh, I uh, provide you advice or uh, my expectations around, okay, this is what you need to do differently. That gives people certainty. That shows them the bigger picture. 
and that helps them to deal with this pandemic. So actually, in these unprecedented times of uh, people working from home, people working uh, remotely, you, it's, it's easy to distance ourselves and to give less feedback just because you have less face time. But you need to do the opposite. Uh, you need to flip the pyramid. Uh, so if in uh, business unusual, you were providing uh, X percent of, uh, of feedback or you had X percent of one-on-one -on -one engagement with your team members, flip that. And uh, you, you, you really need to uh, engage people on the issues of their performance, of their careers, and their development, uh, because uh, empathy is, um, is, is becoming a much more valuable and uh, very scarce commodity uh, nowadays. Flip the pyramid. This has been Sergey Gorbatov. Sergey, thank you so much. I'm Greg Mastrider. See you next week. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye-bye.